Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. And let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and kept back parts of the price. His wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part, and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is a very sad piece of scripture. This couple, and I'll say this right at the beginning of this message, that out of 8,000 souls which have been saved thus far, here we are going to discover two bad apples. And this couple have conspired together to sell some of their land. And this was voluntary, by the way, which I mentioned last time in chapter 4. This wasn't mandatory. And on top of that, you won't find this practice found anywhere in the Pauline epistles. But after selling this piece of land, they decided to keep back part of the money for themselves. This is a great picture of uh, a couple wanting to be seen to be something special in the eyes of others. And here specifically in the eyes of the apostles. And it's very sad because not only are this couple saved, and I'll get to that a little later, not only have they conspired together to deceive uh, the apostles, but on top of that, they've been named in scripture. Sapphira being the wife and Ananias being the husband. And for me, this picture is a great white throne judgment when unsaved people are going to be summoned up out of the pit, out of hell, and they're going to be judged publicly. But here, I believe this couple are saved. I'll get to that a little later. And it says here, they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. That expression is found also in chapter 4. And you have to remember one thing, please, that first of all, the Jews were a close-knit group of people. And therefore, to bring their money, their property, and put it at the apostles' feet was a... It's almost a picture of a love offering, if you will. And they were able to trust the apostles to do with it as they chose fit. Also, you can't get tithing from this piece of scripture, I'm afraid. And there are some people who believe in tithing, and I don't, by the way, like to think that this is evidence for tithing. It's not. But because they've sold their possession, who better than to give it to the apostles? And on top of that, please keep in mind also that there was no welfare in the first century, and that's why they are selling their property, along with the others from the last few verses of chapter 4, to give to the apostles to distribute, to make sure that nobody went without, and on top of that, to make sure that this early group of believers weren't going to be dependent on the Jewish leaders. So I'll say this, that although this sin was done in secret, their sin is going to be shamed in public. Verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Keep that part of the price of the land. The devil has influenced their heart. And Peter once again takes the lead here. And also please keep in mind that Peter has apostolic knowledge at this time in his ministry whereas when you go to Galatians chapter 5 Paul no longer has apostolic knowledge and people say well how is it possible that Peter was able to know this well quite obviously God has shown him since chapter 2 Peter has come to his own and he preached on the day of Pentecost and Dr Luke told you around 3,000 souls were saved you saw from chapter 3 going into chapter 4 about 5,000 souls were saved. So we are up to 8,000 souls now. And yet this is an early church. This is a pure church. And Peter puts the question to Ananias. Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And to keep that part of the price of the land. It was possible at this 11th hour for Ananias to confess his sin. Along with his wife. And we'll get to her in a few verses time. But like Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. Instead of coming clean and saying, okay, Peter, we 
made a mistake, we've been found out. No, they continue on down this conspiracy, this lie to deceive not just the Apostle Peter, but the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 4, please. Whilst it remained, was it not in thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? The heart of man is desperately wicked, whether you're saved or unsaved. I'm sorry to say this, but your heart is still wicked. That's why you were told to put your flesh to death every day. That's why you were told to abstain from the lusts of the flesh. And you can't miss it from verse 4. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? It was yours. We didn't ask you to do this. You just imagine Peter pleading with him. And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? It still belongs to you. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Not in his head, please note, but his heart. Thou hast not lied unto men, i.e. myself and others, but unto God. Please turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Some years ago I was doing some street work in Manchester. And a Jehovah's Witness came over to me. And he said to me, we saw you outside our conference a couple of years ago. And uh, we could hear you preaching outside. And I said to him, yes, that's correct. We were outside your conference uh, two years in a row. This is probably 2000 and let's think now, 2007 and 2008. And he said, yes, we could hear you preaching outside our conference. And we wanted to send a cup of tea out to you and your friend. That was the first year, 2007. And the following year, Patrick and I and a group of brethren returned to do an even greater outreach. But it wasn't possible. Why? Well, because the elders of the, the JWs, the Jehovah's Witnesses, wouldn't allow them to do so. And this man was still in the Watchtower organization at this time of uh, coming up to me in the streets of Manchester. And I showed him the scripture from Acts 5. You know, why have you lied to man, but not only, not only man, but to God? And I said to him, if you look at these verses carefully from Acts 5, 3 and 4, you see very clearly that God is called the Holy Spirit. And he said to me, I can't accept that. I can't accept that the Holy Spirit is God. So I took him to Hebrews 9. And I said, look at verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The eternal spirit. And I said to him, how can the Holy Spirit be eternal if he's not God? In other words, he has to be God because any God is eternal. And I said, look at verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Eternal redemption. He goes into the Holy of Holies once, and that's a great picture for eternal security also. But you can't miss it. Eternal redemption, 12, in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did so by the Holy Spirit, the eternal spirit, verse 14. And he said to me, you know what? I haven't seen that verse before. And he was quite... Honest to say you hadn't seen this verse from Hebrews 9, verse 12 to verse 14. But the Holy Spirit is referred to as being eternal in verse 14. And on top of that, you were told by the Apostle Paul not to quench or grieve the Holy Ghost. Which suggests to me that he is a person. Whereas, of course, the Jehovah's false witnesses call him God's active force. But please go back to Acts chapter 5. And let's look at this verse one more time uh, from verse 4. Whilst it remained, was it not in thine own? Or was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? So you see the emphasis is still voluntarily in reference to Ananias and Sapphira doing as they wanted to do with their sale of the gift of the property, so on and so forth. But for some reason they won't come clean. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. 
And I said to this JW, there you are, you see, the Holy Spirit is God. Anyway, to cut a long story short, within 18 months, this man got saved. He left the Jehovah's Witnesses, and to this day, he has one of the greatest channels on YouTube when it comes to witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses. That was a great opportunity for me to speak to him and to show him Acts 5 and Hebrews 9. And I'm not going to stand in this morning and say that his salvation or his conversion was down to me. I'm not that foolish, but maybe I played a small part in it. I don't know. But more importantly, for this Lord's Day morning, Peter makes it very clear that this couple haven't just lied to Peter and the apostles, but to the Holy Spirit, which we find very clearly in verse 4, to be God, almighty God. Look at verse 5, please. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. Great fear came on all them that heard these things. Ananias heard these words from Peter, and he fell down and gave up the ghost. Could it be possible that Peter was aware that such a thing was going to occur? I don't think so. In fact, I think Peter was probably just as shocked as Ananias was and those standing around him when he fell down and gave up the ghost. The Lord literally intervened and put this man to death. But if you go back to chapter 2, verse 43, because I think this couple was saved, and some people say, no, you can't suggest that, James. You can't suggest this couple was saved. Look at chapter 2, verse 43, please. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. I don't think it's possible, or even likely, that such a couple would have got saved from chapter 2 or chapter 4 and remain unsaved. What, what I'm trying to say is I don't think it's possible that this couple were unbelievers. Because if they were unbelievers, if they were false converts, wouldn't you think from chapter 2, 43, and fear came upon every soul, wouldn't you think that would be evidence or that would be a way for them to escape? If I'm going to join a church and there's great fear in that church, if I'm going to join an organization which is doing miracles, supernatural miracles, left, right and center, I'm going to be thinking to myself, this is something unusual. This isn't something of man, this is something of God. And therefore I'm going to be out the door quick smart. Now I think this couple were saved, and I think people need to understand that it's possible for saved people to still live like they used to live after they are saved, their hearts are not right. But two bad apples out of 8,000 isn't overly bad, but it does show me very clearly that the Lord wasn't going to tolerate sin so early in his church. And this was done, obviously, to shame other potential deceivers. And on top of that, this was done to make it very clear that the Lord isn't going to tolerate sin of any kind. And you find the same sort of theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it says many of them wouldn't repent, many of the Corinthians wouldn't uh, turn from their sin, and therefore the Lord first of all sent them sickness, illness, so on and so forth, and when that didn't work, he put them to death. And here you're reading very clearly on this Lord's Day morning how a couple of saved individuals, a husband and wife team, have sinned in secret but have been shamed in public. Which one more time I think goes back to the great white throne. And as I say, when that day comes around for the unsaved, not the saved of course, for the saved we go to the judgment seat of Christ. But for the unsaved they go to the great white throne judgment and this is a clear pitch I think of what's going to occur at the great white throne judgment. But let's move on, please. Verse 6. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. No cremation. And where possible, if you are a saved man or woman, and if you are planning your funeral, your literal funeral, of course, we've had our spiritual funeral, according to Romans 6, then I would suggest you plan for a burial, if possible. 
I know some parts of the world, they are struggling for land to bury their dead. And also we hope for the rapture, of course, we hope that we won't need to be buried. And also these young men took the time to bury this man. You know, they could have just thrown him into a heap of rubbish or garbage, as the Americans say, and just left him there for the dogs to come and devour him, like they did with Jezebel back in the Old Testament. But no, they wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. Seven. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And she doesn't know that her husband, Ananias, has been struck down dead by Almighty God. And yes, he will do that. You know, he put Moses to death prematurely. He put Aaron to death prematurely. Even Miriam died prematurely. And he reserves a right to put you to death prematurely, or myself to death prematurely, if he chooses to. But my experience has shown me that the Lord is long-suffering, and for the most part, he does postpone judgments on wayward, backslidden, rebellious, apostate Christians for as long as is possible. But here, no such thing is going to occur. And again, that term, about the space of three hours, is very typical of Dr. Luke. As I said to you earlier on, he mentions in Acts 2, about 3,000 souls got saved. And in chapter 4, about 5,000 souls got saved. And here, about three hours after, his wife comes in not knowing what has occurred. Look at 8. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. He doesn't even call her by her first name. Did you notice that? He just goes straight to the heart of the matter. And he says, Tell me whether ye, both of you, sold the land for so much. He's giving her a chance to come clean. And she said, Yea, for so much. But instead of coming clean, instead of confessing and saying, Okay, Peter, we've made a mistake. We've been found out. We've been rumbled, as they say. No. She continues this lie, this conspiracy. And please... Keeps in mind one more time that this wasn't mandatory for the early church to do this. They wanted to do this. And in some churches around the world, you have the Joneses keeping up with the Smiths. And that's very clear when you get a picture of somebody like Mr. Smith, for example, who gives X amount of money every month to his church. And Mr. Jones comes along and tries to double that or triple that. That's foolishness. That's vanity. That's the old flesh wanting to be recognized, wanting to receive something from the Lord, which is completely unnecessary. And I think Peter, as I say one more time, is, is offering the hand of friendship, if you will. He's offering, the, uh, he's offering this woman the opportunity to come clean. But she says, no, the lamb was sold for so much. And it says in verse 9, Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Ananias has been struck down, and the word of God says God is no respecter of persons, and now his wife... Is going to be cut down as well. I'm not sure you can really understand how this would have been received in the early church. This group of Jews for the most part. Probably 99% are Jews. If not 100% are Jews. And they've come to the Lord Jesus Christ from Judaism. And they're having a great time. It says they were rejoicing in chapter 2. Breaking bread from house to house. Going to the temple regularly. It must have been like a honeymoon for this early group of Bible believing Christians. Saved Jews. But on top of that. Peter can't overlook this. God won't tolerate sin. You know, it says that hell was made for the devil and his angels. And therefore, if you sin and don't repent and die in your sin, you'll go to hell forever if you're not saved. And if you sin and don't repent and are still saved, there's a chance you could lose rewards and crowns at the judgment seat of Christ. And even worse than that, it's possible you could lose your place in the millennial kingdom. One more time from verse 9. Then Peter said unto her, How is it? that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Ghost, being Almighty God, of course. 
Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall come, and shall carry thee out. So this Christian conspiracy has been nipped in the bud, as they say, and before she had a chance to say or do anything, I mean, she had probably a good 15, 20, 25, 30 seconds to repent, but it's too late. Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door. They're coming for you, and shall carry thee out. And of course, verse 10, Then she fell down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. A clear picture of a burial. No cremation, no discarding her. And she falls down at the feet of the apostle Peter. And that must have been a shock to him. It must have been one thing to see Ananias cut down in his prime. And I'm thinking to myself, this could be a young couple. I'm just assuming that, I don't know. But my feeling is that this was a young couple. Had great potential to do great things for the Lord. But no, this conspiracy has resulted in this couple being cut down in their prime. And the young men come in. They find her dead, they carry her forth, and they bury her by her husband. So on the one hand, that's a picture of respect, that's a picture of honour, because this couple, and I think they were saved, on top of that, were made in the image of God. And even if they weren't saved, there's still a couple of humans who were deceived by the devil, as Eve was, along with the husband Adam, and the devil was able to get Peter to deny the Lord Jesus Christ on three occasions, and on top of that, if you look at Galatians chapter 2, the devil was able to get Peter to get the Gentiles to live like the Jews. And that's a major problem that Paul had to deal with in his epistle to the Galatians. Look at verse 11, please. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. That's the second time that term, great fear, has appeared in chapter 5. I showed you last time from uh, chapter 4, a great expression how they were praying for great grace and great boldness. And that's what we need today. But from the prayer for great grace and great boldness, the term great fear has come upon every soul, has come upon the church and all those that heard these things. And we know from the scripture that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that's paramount. But we also know from scripture that the fear of man bringeth a snare. But this is a fear, this is a on the one hand, a godly fear, and also a fear of being struck down dead as well. I mean, we were told back in uh, Psalm chapter 2, and I read that last Sunday, how those that are going to come to faith in the Son of God are going to fear him, they're going to tremble at him. You were also told to kiss the Son. And on top of that, which I didn't mention last week, was the reference how the Lord is going to give his Son the uttermost parts of the earth, which for me is a clear picture of the millennial kingdom. But I think verse 11 makes it very clear that if it was possible for any false converts to be in this church, I don't believe that it was possible, by this stage they would have run out the door. This couple had been cut down publicly. Who would stay in such a church if they weren't truly saved? So I'm going to leave the position, I'm going to leave the argument, I'm going to remain of the mindset that Ananias and Sapphira were saved, but the devil was able to get in there, he was able to mess them up, and he was able to get them to lie, not just to Peter, not just to the apostles, but to the Holy Ghost, which I've shown you clearly to be Almighty God. Look at verse 12, please. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. By the hands of the apostles, and the context is still on the apostles, they are in the driving seat, and they are still the apostles with the 8,000 plus people in Jerusalem. When you got saved, you were given the opportunity to preach and witness in your own town. I certainly was. And bit by bit, the Lord allowed you to go further afield. And he did with me. 
I went from preaching in my own town to preaching in other towns to preaching in different countries and then returning to my own country to preach and then opportunities have arisen to go further afield and even to go abroad again as the Lord has allowed me to do so. But here they are still in Jerusalem and I think this early church were very much of the opinion that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come back at a moment's notice. Peter wasn't shown explicitly the gospel or the grace of God. He wasn't shown explicitly that the Gentiles were going to be grafted in. He was told that back in John chapter 10. But like many parts of scripture, the apostles didn't quite understand everything that they were told when they were told it. And that goes back to progressive revelation, which goes back to what I've said repeatedly, how Peter wasn't privy to certain aspects of the Lord's plan. That's why you'll discover in chapter 9 when Paul is called for service, not salvation I might add, that he sits down and explains very clearly to Peter the deeper things of the Lord. Look at verse 13 please. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. This is a holy church. Somebody once said that if the Lord who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah doesn't destroy America or Britain or Europe or Asia, Australasia, then you're going to have to give an apology to those from Sodom and Gomorrah because we are so much more accountable to him. We are so much more uh, aware of sin today than we were probably back in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin was only a local sin, if you will. But today's sin is a global sin. But it says, and the rest durst no man join himself to them. I bet they didn't dare join themselves to such a group. But the people magnify them. So out goes any false believer, out goes any lukewarm individual. You're looking at a saved group of people, which is quite amazing for today. Probably even more amazing back in the first century to find a good group of 8,000 people in Jerusalem. Very much under the authority of the apostles, as they would have to be, because who else would they be you know, under? Who else could disciple them? No one else could disciple them. There's no New Testament at this time in the uh, state of the church. They're living by faith, and they're very much under the influence of the apostles. Verse 14, please. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. That's an interesting scripture. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. Added to the Lord? You think to yourself, maybe added by the Lord? What does that mean? Well, you're in the body of Christ. You're added to the Lord. You're put in to the Lord. What does 1 Corinthians 11 say? For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. In fact, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also Ephesians chapter 4. So the Jews are still very much the focus here. But the Jews, men and women, are being added to the Lord into his body. And I make that clear because some hyper-dispensationalists don't believe that the church per se got up and running until around Acts 16, I think it is, or 16, 17, 18. But I think the church was officially born in Acts chapter 2. But on top of that, most of what we are reading here is historical. You can't apply these verses doctrinally to anybody living today. At best, you can spiritualize them, but if you teach it doctrinally, you're going to fall into all sorts of problems. Verse 15. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. They brought their sick into the streets. That was what occurred many times in the Gospels. On one occasion, they brought a cripple to the Lord Jesus Christ and they took Peter's roof off, back in the Gospel of Mark, and they lower him down through the roof. And the Lord sees their faith and he says, because of your faith, this man is now healed. 
And that man got a physical healing, and maybe got a spiritual healing as well, I don't know. But it says here how this multitude brought their sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least a shadow of Peter, passing by might overshadow some of them. It wasn't his shadow that healed anybody. You know, you must understand, it was the Holy Ghost, of course, that did the healing. It was the Holy Ghost, of course, that allowed people to be set free from ailments. But, of course, they are so desperate to get to Peter. And, of course, by this stage in the uh, early church, Peter was probably a celebrity. I mean, he was called the great fisherman. He was known, no doubt, throughout Judea and Jerusalem. And you can imagine people have travelled far to come to Peter. But one more time from verse 15 insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least a shadow of Peter passing by might, might overshadow some of them. This is public healing. This isn't come to our church tonight for a prayer service. This isn't come to a tent meeting tonight. Let's have a collection. This was done on the streets. This was done in public, very much like the Lord Jesus Christ did so. And these people are being carried in on beds and couches. But you won't find that anywhere today. At best, you'll find groups saying, come to our meeting tonight and... After three hours of listening to the music and looking at the strobe lights and listening to the dancers or watching the dancers on the stage and listening to the comedians and the warm-up acts, at the very best you're going to get the placebo effect. And I believe, let me say this please before this broadcast concludes, I do believe that God can still heal today, but I don't believe God heals through healers. I believe that God heals himself. I believe that the Lord God of the Bible is the great healer, but here he's going to heal through Peter. And I'll close in verse 16. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Unclean spirits, devils, and they were healed every one. No failure, no comeback tomorrow, no comeback next week, let's do it again. And it says one more time from 16, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem. Could be hundreds, could be thousands, but a great multitude. And this is so typical of the Gospels, and that's why I think this is very much... Or it feels to me like a fifth gospel. And it says, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. And they were healed every one. What a great picture of the Lord's mercy. Hundreds, maybe thousands, we're not told, are traveling up to see Peter on the street. Not in his temple. Not in the upper room. And that's another good picture to get out of organized religion and go into the streets. Sick folks, vexed with unclean spirits, devils, demons, whatever you wish to call them. And they were healed every one. No failure. And I say this one last time. Can you show me anywhere in the world today where this is being conducted? Can you show me anywhere in the world where people are bringing their sick, their devil-possessed relatives onto the streets to be healed left, right and centre? I can't find anywhere that comes anywhere near this. But I'll close in verse 16. And you can see how fast this early church is moving. What starts with a couple being put to death publicly is now resulting in thousands coming out from their homes to be healed to be set free of unclean spirits so on and so forth this is a very fast moving chapter but next time we'll pick up uh, from verse 17 in acts chapter 5